Hello ninjas and ninjas, welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. And this show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Kelvin Newman. Now, Kelvin runs the Brighton SEO Conference, which is the UK's top SEO conference and what this means is that he gets a really interesting perspective in SEO because he gets to see across the entire industry, he gets to see the trends, what's coming up, what people are no longer talking about and he's really kind of ingrained in the whole thing. So I wanted to bring Kelvin onto the show to talk about where he sees the future of SEO going and also where he sees the present because there can be a bit of a tendency to focus on the new and latest thing you get different camps of people, don't you? You get the people who are really focused on what's coming out and what's new right now. And then you get the people who are really focused on the basics. And then everybody else is kind of caught somewhere in between. And it can make the whole thing feel a bit confusing. What should you actually be spending your time on when you're doing SEO? And I also wanted to ask him about how smaller companies, David's, can take on the Goliaths of their industry. So we had a really good chat. Um, I love talking to Kelvin. He's such a, an engaging person as well and uh, not afraid to say it how it is. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And don't forget, if you want some help with your SEO, then at Exposure Ninja, we offer something called the free website and marketing review. And a large part of this is we'll go and take a look at where your site's ranking. We'll have a look and see what you could be doing to improve that ranking. We'll also take a look at how competitive your market is and give you some suggestions on how to increase visibility against your competitors. Now, this whole review process is completely free of charge. There's no obligation to use our services, although, of course, if you want to, then we can have that conversation. But if you want to claim your free website and marketing review, then go over to ExposureNinja.com, click that big green button and fill in a bit of details about your business. And then we'll send you your review as a 15 minute video, usually within two to three working days. So that's ExposureNinja.com. But anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show with Kelvin Newman. Kelvin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be involved. So it's no exaggeration to say you're one of the most influential people in SEO, I'm going to say, in the UK because of your... I, I don't know about influential. I mean, yeah, certainly, yeah, I, I organise a big SEO conference twice a year and people come from loads of different countries, 40 different countries to come to the event that I organise to learn about search. And, you know, my job is sort of to act as a i don't know a, a, a ringleader for the um for people who work in the industry and kind of give them a chance to share their knowledge and experience and you know hope, hopefully everyone learns from each other in that and just when we thought seo was getting a little bit uh a little bit samey a little bit comfortable in 2017 uh, 2018 happened and i don't know about your perspective but we thought it's probably one of the years of the most change that we've ever seen um, yeah, I mean, SEO. yeah, SEO is a really interesting one. So yeah, like I say, in organising Brighton SEO, I get, you know, we have like 100 different talks um, going on across loads of different tracks. So in programming that, we get a good sense of what people in search are worried and concerned and interested and excited by and, you know, what's keeping their to-do list um, busy. And, you know, inevitably, because we do an event twice a year, we're, you know, you sometimes you might think in some sectors and some industries, um, that you struggle to fill that, you know, that number of topics, that number of things for people to learn about. And yeah, there, there's always new stuff. 
And I mean, what's interesting, I think there's sometimes a temptation and, you know, people who work in agencies, people who organize events, people who blog and write about SEO to kind of emphasize the new stuff. And I think that that's important. And there is lots of stuff happening is it's a dynamic system um, with, you know, many, many moving parts. But they're sort of the edge bits, I think, in many cases, the 10, 15 percent of kind of the extra best case, best practice sort of stuff but actually sometimes there's a temptation and it's easy to forget that kind of i don't know the the big chunk of it that is surprisingly similar so i've been working in search i don't know 12 years now and there are things that i learned on that first day on my first day of learning about seo which are still true today um, there are bits that aren't but in many cases it's kind of a journey that's gone through and actually the bits that have changed were sort of the the things that felt like they shouldn't have worked yeah. Or we're always like a step a step towards, you know, like Google were trying to understand a thing. We know that this isn't perfect, but this is the way we understand it now. But as time goes on, we'll get better at understanding it and therefore, you know, hopefully improve things. So yeah, it's an interesting one. So I would definitely say there's lots that's gone on in the last year that is very interesting if you're working in search. But I also think it's true that if you are a business owner or a marketing manager where search isn't you know all of your job then actually the things that probably were the top of your to-do list in 2017 if you didn't do them in 2017 you didn't do them in 2018 they're probably still there if you see what i mean so it, it's kind of an interesting one that like yes a lot's going on but at the same time um the number of you know i don't do consulting now but i know lots of people in agencies lots of consultants freelancers and you know it never ceases to amaze me how you know the fundamentals the the core principles you know are rarely done perfectly um yeah. and then getting that right's often the the biggest opportunity really and it's really interesting there's lots of opportunities in these extra areas and these new things that are rolling out um and in many cases that can be your chance whereas a smaller more nimble um kind of organization that actually might be your big opportunity right it's easier for you to to experiment it's easier for you to try things out it's easier for you to test and learn than perhaps it would be in a like slightly more you know old-fashioned or perhaps larger organization absolutely and that leads us perfectly so the the, the business owner or the marketing manager that's listening and they might feel a bit intimidated by all of the change and all of the hype around things like medic and mobile first perhaps we should just get back down to the essentials what are those things that you consider absolutely fundamental and in a sense future proof if they're if they're the things that we were talking about 12 years ago and they're still the things that we're talking about now uh, you know what are the things that you think are going to be here forever and they're the basics that need to be covered before we go out to the peripheries yeah, I mean, I think keyword research is kind of, I think, very core to search marketing, whether it's paid search or natural search. And I think often is perhaps a little bit ignored. So it might often be the kind of thing that someone did 12 months ago for a couple of hours. And then, you know, there's ranking reports running off that or there's, a, you know, there's some kind of um, objective that you set yourself to get more number one rankings for those terms. And there might not necessarily have been the thought or sophistication that's gone into that that there, there could have been. Um, and I think that that continues to be the case. So I think keyword research and the process around thinking about the words your customers um, would use to describe the products or services that you offer or the problems that your products and services solve 
is an incredibly powerful way of approaching your business. So, you know, I'm always interested in people who come from a search background who then go off and set up other businesses where search is like in the DNA of those businesses. And in many cases, you can see that like it was that keyword research that led to that business, right? So every business really should be there to solve a customer's problem. And I think keyword research is, you know, the the interactions that people have with search engines are they're going to a search box or they're making a search on a voice, you know, device, vo- um, voice assistant or whatever it is or on their, their mobile phone. Really what they're doing is they're saying, I have a problem or I have a need I'm looking to solve. And kind of if you can understand that about your customers, I think that's incredibly powerful, you know, from a search perspective, because then you kind of go, oh, well, we'll describe our products in the way that they, you know, that our customers do. We'll consider the products we're developing based upon the interests that they have. We'll produce content that is trying to take people for, who have different needs um, and, ex- and help them with those needs. You know, you know that's really, really important. And I think it kind of it's quite powerful, though, when that starts to kind of overlap with things like UX and usability and kind of user testing, uh, product management and, and all of those areas as well. Um, and I think that all kind of ties in quite nicely. So, yeah, in terms of those core ones, kind of like going, well, what are the problems our customers have and how do we solve them is like a real key bit of the SEO um, process, but it's a key bit of the business process as well. And I don't see that changing, right? And an SEO would call that keyword research. A a usability person would call it something different. A startup person would call it something different again, but kind of the, the, the nub of the idea that they're trying to get at there is quite similar across all of those different disciplines. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, keyword research is almost something that everyone should do whether doing SEO or not isn't it really because it's looking at the amount of demand behind phrases and understanding your customer's language which you know if you say you're in telesales like keyword research would be a useful thing to do because you're talking your customer's language and that's never a bad thing yeah yeah I mean I think that's it I mean there's a whole process like in fact we probably ought to do this ourselves right of going through the customer inquiries you get, right? So the questions that people have when they do make that decision to get in contact with you, and if they've made a build in an email submission form or, or whatever it is, but actually we even get all our phone calls transcribed and emailed through to us as well. So you know, it'd be entirely possible for us to take all of those questions that we get asked and put them in a word cloud, right? A classic kind of SEO tool that you'd use, and go, well, what are the words and questions that are coming up really, really frequently in those questions? And either that is that will tell us a few things. It's like, well, here's the problems our customers have and we can help them. Or it might tell us, well, here the, here's a failure in our website to kind of pre-qualify those questions or to help people, you know, self, self-serve to some extent. So yeah, I think that kind of process of thinking about that and then, and then that step of kind of going out and looking at volume and then also going out and looking at um, for those keywords we would like to rank for, um, who is also ranking for those keywords, how are they approaching the challenges that they've got as well? Because that, I think that's a mistake I often think about, often mi- mistake I often make in, in search, is kind of think of, oh, someone has a search query, they make that search query, if I rank, they come through to my website, and if I do good CRO, they convert. But the reality is, is that I do this when I'm searching, I'm looking at multiple different websites, right? I'm looking at you know, the competitors, the trade publications that are writing about that space, you know, loads of different websites, right? Like it's very rare for someone to go to one website and immediately make a purchase. You, you kind of go back, you make other searches, you do all of that. So thinking about that kind of experience that people have got, 
is and how are other websites talking about the problems or how are other websites kind of discussing this is is a powerful one and kind of before we came online we were chatting a bit about kind of the david and goliath kind of challenges sometimes that smaller businesses might have and in fact in many cases i think if you're thinking about search optimization as the process of getting customers from search rather than being ha- getting your website higher on search I think for many small businesses, that kind of getting the customers from search is probably a better priority to have. So it's like, well, actually, what are the forum posts that are appearing when someone makes those types of search queries? Could we contribute to those forums? What are the the, the marketplaces, the, the retailers who we could resell through? And all of those types of ones are, are quite interesting. I think there's going to be like a big shift over the next sort of like four or five years where retailers will have their own website that they have to do very, very well on and produce, you know, brilliant websites, but they also need to be thinking, well, how do I sell through the marketplaces? And, and genuinely taking that as seriously as they perhaps do their own website. And, you know, there's equivalent types of marketplaces popping up in all kinds of different industry sectors. That's a really interesting point about not kind of relying on on your website to get ranking necessarily. And I guess uh, we often uh, maybe look at things like Google's uh, use of featured snippets and worry about yeah but people aren't coming through to my website but maybe that's okay and maybe that's the route things are going and actually just having business visibility anywhere that this content is showing in search maybe that is part of the future yeah i mean i think you're entirely right it raises lots of really interesting questions about kind of you know the responsibility of the those websites that you know should they be sending the traffic through but for lots of businesses they could do worse than have a really well maintained facebook page have a really well maintained accurate and up to date google my business you know um listing page and, and and you know like if they did that and put some time and effort into that you know they could do quite well i think particularly with really this is probably like the people with the really really small budgets who are kind of you know scraping together to get their website built in the first place actually they could probably get 70 percent of what they'd be looking for via those other means and actually if they were to save the time and effort and you know there are people who are kind of like you know they don't even know what a you know hosting company is they don't know what a kind of a content management system is if you're that type of business then in many cases i think these kind of yeah they're the place where you can have that but in regardless it's kind of it comes back to that uh marketing is about making sure that you have a good product that your customers need and want and presenting it to them in a way that they can understand and i think that kind of presenting it to them is yeah it, it takes a knack right but somebody really gets their customers is, is really well placed to do that I want to ask you about the focus on on content. Um, I don't. There's something about the word content doesn't really sit well because it indicates this kind of commodity. You know, when you say content, you just imagine this block of crap that's essentially inserted onto a website. And and I think it can feel quite intimidating looking at how much content is being pumped onto competitors' websites. If we're thinking about the David and Goliath analogy. A small business or a you know even a medium-sized business going up against some of the giants here who are just pumping you know they've got entire teams just pumping content into their sites and other sites on the internet how can they think about competing in in this world and even do they need to think about it or are they better off leaving the that kind of top of funnel research traffic to to other competitors and just trying to get people at the kind of uh, uh, right at the point of conversion yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think a few years ago, I probably would have said, you know, every website should have a blog, everyone should be publishing on that kind of, you know, producing their own content. 
but that's tricky and it's hard to build the audience and there's certain things about kind of how the ecosystem has changed over the years that maybe makes me have a slightly different approach to that so i think for lots of businesses unless you've got this natural um, desire or propensity within your team to be producing content and you'd be doing it anyway right you'd be doing it for internal customer guides you'd be doing it for you know someone you know is a as a writer as much as they are a marketer you know if you've got those types of people you know producing your own content is very very good but you need to build an audience for that to work right so it needs to be that you've got you know you people who are coming to your website for that content and you can't like assume that that's going to happen overnight like a podcast is a really good example of that your very first podcast you produce will not have many listeners but there is a value and a benefit of doing it over time that begins to accumulate but you can't kind of get there straight away and like sometimes with content people get that first couple of steps produce their first couple of blog posts or or first couple of podcasts and then sort of peter out yeah now the reality is it's like the 18 months down the line when they're going to be seeing the return and if you, you're too busy or it's not enough of a priority actually if you can kind of go well if i could produce one really good guide to whatever it is that you do that helps people who are sort of starting in that top of funnel process and you could provide that to somewhere that already has an audience and in return, they kind of credit you. And ideally, in an SEO way, they would link back to you and all of that sort of stuff. But in many cases, actually, that's probably a secondary concern. And kind of going, well, actually, they will have the visibility. They will have, you know, the the authority in the sector. They'll probably already have a mailing list. They'll probably already have some kind of audience generation program in place. If you've got kind of got that one piece of content in you every six months, probably best to work with a publisher you know, who themselves have their own obligations about producing lots of content and getting an audience and often with not necessarily huge budgets themselves. I think in many cases, that's often a good way to go, which is kind of, go, well, who in my space already has an audience who ideally you've got a relationship with already um, and kind of going, well, what could I do? Could I be writing a column for them or could I be producing, you know, a one-off ebook in association with them or whatever it is? It's going to be different from B2B businesses to B2C businesses. Um, but I think around producing content, if you're doing it on your own website, you need to build an audience and that's an investment. Yeah. There's an investment that often can take years to repay. Um, when it does, it works really, really, really well, to be honest. So there is, it's definitely worth doing, but it's kind of this, this interesting challenge. I mean, I see this ourselves, right? So, um, I run an SEO conference, right? Most conferences and events, businesses, exhibition businesses, are built off publishing businesses, right? So there's a magazine or a website that exists somewhere and the event is like the, the physical manifestation of that, right? We don't do that. Um, we don't have a blog. We have a podcast, but that's just kind of re-recordings. Well, not re-recordings, recordings of the talks that have already occurred. So they're being produced anyway. Now, the logical thing for me is that we should become a publisher, right? That would make a lot of sense. But it's very, very tricky for us to be, you know, second best seo publisher the 10th best seo you know people publishing seo um content i I think we struggle to be in the top 50 you know without really investing in it so for us we're going to go well that already exists so what are the ways that we can get out to our audiences in different ways Uh, and content is a great way of doing that it demonstrates expertise it can build rapport it traditionally does very very well in search it usually does very very well on social but you need an audience there in some way, shape or form, or the, the biggest mistake I see with lots of pieces of content is that they're produced and nobody ever reads them. And that, yeah. that's just a shame. It's just a shame because usually they're very good content. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm kind of curious now that you've mentioned uh, your almost lack of taking the traditional SEO route that, that a business like yours would take. So f- for Brighton SEO, mm-hmm. why you've explained why you don't go for that route. What do you do instead? What's your what's your internal SEO strategy? What are the people who have the access to the most SEO information of anyone? What do they do? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think ours is ours is interesting. I mean, like there's there's it's an interesting situation whereby that if I had to say what are our biggest marketing channels, you might assume that an SEO conference would like search would be a big part of our, you know, the way in which we yeah. promote else for us it probably isn't it's email it's social and we do quite a bit retargeting as well um we do treat search and take it seriously but like the the reality is that um, for a lot of the keywords we're kind of you know like seo training um there are many providers of seo training we do rank quite well on some of those key phrases but there are also dozens thousands of seo agencies that also provide seo training um, so it's kind of very hard to treat that as the main priority for yeah. us. And we go, well, we lean into what we've got that other people don't have, which is the mailing list, right? So, you know, it's, you know, email marketing is, again, it's not the sexiest one. SEO is not even the sexiest one anymore. But if you've got a group of people who you know are interested in a topic and you tell them about a thing that hopefully they're interested in, you describe it in a way that hopefully persuades them that it's worthwhile, then, you know, that can work quite well. Yeah, email marketing. If you've got a business at all where there's a repeat, you know, so people make purchases on more than one occasion or, you know, um, it isn't like a one-off purchase. Like, this wouldn't work amazingly well if you were like a, um, I don't know, a wedding venue, right? Because, you know, people aren't getting married lots of times. Um, so, well, you some know, there's... Are. <laughs> yeah, 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 but certainly not. Not like year in, year out, you would assume. I don't know. But um, but yeah, so it's that kind of like, if you've got any business where that's the case, I think mail works very, very well on that. We're a business that's built around Twitter. We talk about that we, you know, had a hashtag before we had a website. Um, so, you know, that that uniquely shapes our kind of approach to how we, we do things. And But we're doing that in a couple of interesting ways. So we're, you know, pushing out on the social media, all the stuff that we want to tell people about. But we're also using it to get, you know, uh, messages and ideas and, you know, participation back. And that works very well for us, right? Because we're, you know, um, lots of events particularly would say that they're kind of community focused and listen to their community and all that type of stuff. And instead, what they really mean is that they don't listen, they don't care. It's just like, (laughs) you know, it's a one way communication, whereas we're like, We've got two designs of a T-shirt we can't decide between. Let us know what you think, right? And that's incredibly powerful for us for a couple of ways. One, because it shifts a bit of the responsibility for decision-making out to the community. Um, And two, it's really powerful because each of those people who make a response feel that they're participating Mm. and contributing to and bought into. And then when they do get that T-shirt down the line, they're like, oh, this was, you know, they feel that. And that's not appropriate for every single business. Um, but for us, it, it works really, really well. You're also split testing the most popular designs, though, which is yeah, yeah. I mean, no, there's no an harm. element of that as well. Yeah, I mean, in many cases, we've already decided what we're doing, right? Don't tell anyone this, but it's like we're, you know, we're trying to reinforce our decisions that yeah. we've already made, or where I've made a decision and someone else in the team, um, you know, like they like the red one, I like the green one. I'll put it out there and hope that the green one comes through because that's the one I wanted anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's not the pure scientific method we're going for on that one. I, I must. <laughs> 
Disappointing. I'm disappointed. Um, I, I want to ask about something that's been on a lot of SEOs' radars in the last, particularly over the last, say, five months. Um, and that's all the, the hoo-ha around medic. There seems to be two schools of thought. A lot of the, particularly maybe black hats, seem to be a little bit skeptical about how real Google's guidelines are around medic and how much they actually reflect what's happening out in the real world. And then there's like the pure white hats who are like, right, we need to go buy the book on Google's guidelines. We need to make sure we're completely, you know, everything's backed up by qualifications and all of this side. Where where, where do you stand on this? Do you have a... I think Medic's an interesting one um, because they're, I think the way that the outs, people outside of Google think about updates is different from the way that people inside Google think about updates. And I think that there's, there's a temptation um, and a a very sensible approach, which is to try and think of um, the updates being a specific thing that had a cause and a reason and happened at a particular period of time. Whereas I get the impression from the people who are more in Google is that there's so many things and updates happening that it doesn't quite work in that same way. Now, we as people trying to like respond to and you know build upon and work with um, Google's updates, is it, it helps us to think of them as particular things. So I am going to do this to respond to Medic. And I get that, right? Although you could also argue that kind of in a more you know, like broader, longer term, holistic point of view is that well, what is Medic really about? Well, it's about Google trusting more reputable sources and trusting less reputable sources less. That's not anything new, right? Really, it's kind of the, the methods in which they determine how to do that trust is different as yeah. uh, differentiated but i don't think i think if you're at such a tactical level that an update like that is having a profound shift on what you're doing for seo you were probably being a bit too tactical and not quite strategic enough now yes it might mean that kind of you go well it's different if you're you were ranking very very highly and now you drop significantly i can understand how you'd want to you know how that would have an impact and you'd you know, feel like you needed to do something dramatically differently. So I, I fully get that. Um, but I think there's a simultaneous kind of, there's this balance between getting the updates being like they are, or the 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 tool, it's, it's like an ecosystem, right, that, want, that wants to talk about updates, right? Because um, the tool providers want to say that their tool determined it and predicted it. Um, you, there's a reason for wanting to try and explain well, my updates changed because Google changed the system rather than because thousands of websites were competing for the same keywords and some had got a couple of links, some had added, had a redesign, some had had their website go down for two weeks. It's a complex system, right? So we try to simplify it in, in this way. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's kind of like there's an ecosystem that wants to push it as being dramatic shifts, when in many cases, like, well, actually, if you've got a sensible plan, it might not change dramatically. I guess... I guess the challenge is, like you say, if, if a site has seen a big drop that seems to coincide with an update, their natural tendency is going to be, what have I done wrong? Or what am I doing wrong? Or what am I missing? And then they go to the webmaster guidelines and they see something about, you know, these search quality raters being asked to check who is the person behind this. So the immediate assumption is, ah, now all of a sudden this is on Google's radar, if you like. So I need to comply with this. Yeah, this new rule. Um, but you're saying it's it's much more complicated than that, and it's that's a bit kind of reactionary. 
I, I yeah, I certainly think that there's a that, yeah that it it's tempting to look and kind of go that that was definitely it was that that was the reason why I changed. Yeah. You know, like that that's the um, you know, it was that because I didn't have you know the person we didn't have an orphan name that orphan name didn't have a qualification and you know it, it it's tricky um, if you're yeah. kind of being you know but I would also say I think that this is again it's a ranking versus traffic thing. Sorry. If you're over concentrated on the rankings, then there's always that danger that you're kind of like chasing, whereas you're perhaps not seeing the broader picture that's going up and down, but the line is always headed in the right direction, and that's probably the bigger picture. Yeah, that's a really good I think one of the things that we noticed amongst our clients that saw some impact during Medic was that actually conversions didn't drop at all. They might yeah. have lost some visibility for informational phrases that maybe there are commercial pages that were ranking for informational phrases and they've lost some visibility there. But actually, business impact was was not much at all. Yeah, I, I, and yeah, I think that's a, a really good example of kind of going that, that yeah, you're actually, what's why are you doing search is to yeah. get more of the business. And, you know, the, inevitably we're going to want to do those more informational ones. But yeah, you're asking, should you have been there? I think that's a really yeah. interesting question that it sounds like you were kind of alluding to there is that it's a really genuinely informational query that someone has and a commercial page is there, then is that sustainable? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, you're able to kind of go that people, and I certainly think that there's people have started to suggest, um, you know, that you have these types of queries where there's an expectation from Google that certain types of website should be appearing and if you don't fit that type of website then it's always going to be harder to sustain a position for that and then if that is the case as i was sort of as we were talking about earlier that actually if it's if in this case you've seen well we were ranking for a commercial query but now a publisher is ranking for that informational query then maybe actually your content strategy should be around well how do we appear on the publisher website potentially yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point. I guess it ties right back into what you were saying at the start, which was some of the things which us as SEOs have lost over the years, or some of the things that worked well, which we kind of lost, has actually been just Google getting better at doing what it does and being less susceptible to our manipulation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, there's certainly a there's a logic that says. Yeah, that should certain types of, you know, there's as a business and you want to rank for a term, it's like, well, should you deserve to rank for that? Should you know, do you deserve to be there in, you know, a broader non-search specific way? And and if you don't, then that doesn't mean that you can't rank for that term or you shouldn't be ranking for that term, but it's always going to be harder. Yeah. Right. And I think that's kind of, you know, there's some, been some interesting research a guy called Tom Capper, um, who works at the still, he did some really interesting stuff about, um, websites and the fluctuations in rankings for, um, mother's day flowers in the lead up to mother's day and kind of plotting the sort of movement of different types of website in the run up to that. And you had kind of brands that had, that were known for being flower brands, brands sort of like, Waitrose and John Lewis and Marks and Spencers that were kind of well-known brands but weren't necessarily, um, you know, known for flowers and then kind of specialist, less well-known brand, uh, so, you know, specialist florists who weren't well-known at all and kind of treating those as types of websites and the various fluctuations. And he builds quite a kind of 
persuasive narrative around kind of this expectation that people have and the response to the brands that are there. It's a very easy thing to say, oh, we'll just go and build a brand, right? But um, the reality is, is kind of going, well, are you, if someone who isn't a cert, there is no search engine in front of them and they were say, who is a specialist in your space, say, who is the best, you know, five people to be buying, you know, um, Pirelli tires off or who's the best, um, you know, wedding photographer in Swindon, right? The people at the wedding venues would know that. And actually, like, that type of deserving to be there is is important. And then what you're then trying to do is that the job of your SEO is to reflect that, right? So yeah. I think they're the best SEO projects to have. I was where the the business should be ranking because yeah. it is a good one, but hasn't done a good job of reflecting that, right? So either because they've got a website that doesn't describe themselves in the words that they use, or they've got kind of a promotional strategy that is very offline, but could be online, but you know, they've got the great deserving and like they're the best SEO projects. And I think it's always going to be hard to get a website for a business that isn't deserving in this kind of very nebulous term that I mean. Um, And if it's there, they're always going to be the harder projects, right? And you're always going to have to do better um, proportionally than you would do for a website that they're there. And I think in, if you're a, a marketing director or a business owner, that that mean, that isn't saying ignore SEO because that's complete opposite of what I'm saying there, but kind of going, well, if you've got a marketing budget of, I don't know, 10 grand a year, don't put, you know, 10 grand of it into paid search because, you know, that's a tricky, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. And I think that's probably um, my top tip would be to to spread the risk and, you know, um you know be diverse in your approach because there's always a danger if you're only doing one thing if something changes or shifts in that one thing then you've got a very exposed business that's uh, yeah uh, being deserving of, of ranking just thinking through our clients that have been most successful and all of them have genuinely good businesses that have their own space in the market and it's like if you get a, a drop shipper who sells other brands of earphones, for example, trying to rank that site against Argos and companies like that when they're selling the same products that are more expensive. You're just like, the amount of SEO work you're going to have to do to do that is insane. But PPC also probably isn't going to be profitable for you either because you, you know, it's just not going to work. So kind of taking a step back and saying, how can I build a business that's deserving of ranking? And then the SEO's job is so much easier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think a drop shipping one's a really good example there because if like you are drop shipping, I would say, and I like I love businesses that are kind of like distribute and we work, you know, with kind of um those kind of e-commerce warehouses and stuff as well. But like what what is the business there? If the business there is just the like somebody it, wanting to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there expertise in that like, you're only choosing like you only have ten products because they're the best ten products? Or is it like actually, you know, so like, what is it that makes that business better um, than the others? And it's certainly possible. It's hard in e-commerce, right? If you are a specialist e-commerce retailer um, that's selling identical products with boilerplate text that's exactly the same as major retailers, that's going to be very, very hard. Um, but instead, I'd kind of go, well, actually, rather than kind of going, like, there, there are, you know, I'm interested in hi-fi, I'm interested in headphones. There are, there are businesses out there that kind of, very selective in what it is that they're um 
selling. They're very selective in how they talk about that. They're able to understand the distinctions about that. But if you're selling a commodity on price alone, it's you just got to give your twenty percent to Amazon or whatever it is, and yeah. and do it through there. And Amazon SEO is an interesting thing in its own right as well. But um, yeah, it's a it's a kind of a quite different business there. That really, all you what you're then doing is taking on the risk of you know buying the stock. Absolutely. I want to wrap up, Kevin, by asking you about one element of SEO, which um, feels to me like an imperfect thing, and yet it's so big, and that's links. I wonder if with uh, Medic and looking at authorities and we see, you know, unlinked branded mentions potentially having an impact. Are we still going to be talking about links in five years, do you think? Um, we shouldn't. In the sense that, like, I think where the search engines would like to be and where they are is different in, in that sense that, you know, that um, I think the, 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 the search engines would like to have a more broadly encompassing idea of who deserves to appear, right? And that's kind of all links when you really go back to the nitty gritty of how it worked is that if you just looked at on-site optimization that would give you a skewed picture of who deserves to rank, right? That, that's the whole reason that, and I think you know, links are really interesting because that's why Google became popular, right? Because it was a better search engine than those that were more directory led. And those that were more directory led were based on on-site SEO. So it's kind of really interesting because it's kind of like a core bit of what made Google Google that is, so for that reason, it's kind of very, very important there. But the situations and context in which people would provide a link is becoming increasingly rare, right? So the reasons why a, a website would naturally generate links is becoming far less frequent for a number of reasons. One, because, you know, we've moved to social networks and therefore that like the nature of social networks has made um, the blog disappear to some extent have made the need for an individual to have a small website less important than it perhaps would have been in the past. Um, are the search engines doing a good job of understanding that at the moment? I think probably not as well as they could. For example, if, say, Google had bought Twitter five, six years ago, I think we'd be looking at a very different ecosystem from what we do now, right? And that's, you know, why I always thought that kind of Google Plus and stuff like that, despite their failures, part of the intention of that was a kind of, a commercial objective, which is we're missing out on this type of advertising, which yeah. is kind of, you know, why Google do it. But also uh, Google's intention was to better understand the web, right? To better understand, to help people answer questions. And that would have allowed them to do a better job of doing that. Will we be talking about in five years? Probably. But I think that the type of links and what we mean by links are probably, that's going to shift, right? So perhaps it's, Already, like for a number of years at Brian SEA, one of our most successful training courses we've run has been called Digital PR for Link Building. And the reason people attend that is because they've got an obligation, they feel that they need to get more links to their website. They go through a course like that, and what comes out the other side is kind of, well, actually what we need to be doing is building our reputation, and an output of that would be links. And actually kind of what you tend to find is that, well, rather than focusing on the link bits, you focus on the reputation bit, and it sort of cascades from that. And what the search engines are trying to do is understand reputation. So yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. I think there'll always be, particularly for Google, because that's where they come from. Yeah. And another search engine with a different origin story would be in a different place. Or if they'd been able to ha build a successful social network, 
they'd have been in a different place by now. But um, yeah, it's, you know, the process of kind of how, if you go, well, what is link building? It's establishing reputation in a way that search engines can understand. That will definitely still be important in five years time, you know, but what, what that entails and involves might shift over time, I do think. Really interesting. Thank you so much for joining us, Kelvin. Um, where no, thanks can for having me. People find out more about you and where can they follow you on socials? Um, so on social, I'm um, fortunate with a relatively unusual name. You can just find me at Kelvin Newman on Twitter. So um, yeah, all, all one word, uh, spelt with a K rather than a C on um, social media. And of course, yeah, website-wise, it's brightonseo.com. Amazing. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kelvin. Thank you, everyone, for joining yes, thanks us. Thanks for having me.